Welcome to the SaaS Marketing Superstars Podcast with your host, Aaron Sikowski. This is the show where we uncover proven growth strategies from CMOs and marketing leaders behind some of the fastest growing SaaS companies. Hey, superstars. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Aaron Zakowski, and today I'm chatting with Chris Ramanini. Chris is the co-founder and CEO at Fireflies.ai, a software that helps you transcribe, summarize, search, and analyze your video meetings. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, Aaron. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Super excited to have you on the show um, and looking forward to learning more about you and about Fireflies. It's a company that uh, I was uh, aware of. So when your team reached out and asked you to be on the show, I was excited to have you on because it was a company that I've heard great things about. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Cool. So, so why don't you start off just, I guess, tell us a little bit more about the company, just so listeners understand what you do. Yeah, you described it well. Fireflies is an AI meeting assistant. It works across Zoom, Google Meet, Teams, all the major video conferencing platforms. It joins those calls, transcribes, summarizes, analyzes those meetings. Our vision is to give everyone perfect recall over their conversations so mm -hmm. that I can remember a call I had two hours ago or two years ago. And uh, we've been at it for a few years and uh, really building this out. Um, we want Fireflies to really be that uh, chief of staff, that assistant that follows you around and uh, helps you remember everything so that you don't have to. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a really eventful journey uh, because we started before all of this AI buzz happened. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we built like this business like from the ground up and really broke a lot of rules along the way uh, in terms of how you build a SaaS startup. Uh, and, uh, I think some of those have paid off and we've learned a lot through that journey. Excellent. Um, so, so just again, to help people wrap their head around the, the product a little bit more, um, thinking back, I guess the, the 80, 20 of where, where the majority of your customers are in the use cases. So, so in the normal case, who typically is using your product? Again, I'm assuming it's sales, but I might be incorrect there. Um, and, and what, and how are they using it in their day-to-day -day operations? It's pretty spread out. Uh, yeah. A lot of knowledge workers that use Fireflies. So sales could be a third of our customers, people in recruiting, internal product collaboration. Uh, anyone that's having meetings, anyone who's a knowledge worker stands to benefit from using Fireflies. Um, so that to us is like, if you're having meetings and you're in the workplace, it's great. And we also recently released a mobile app, uh, which allows you to transcribe in-person meetings. So that opens yeah. up a whole avenue of people that are maybe not in your traditional corporate office setting that could also leverage from Fireflies. That sounds uh, that super cool. Yeah. So, sorry to cut you off. So, so, so how would that work? So if I'm, I'm having coffee, you know, face to face with somebody, I put my phone down on the table and it's just kind of recording yeah, our conversation. Boom. And, and then it'll transcribe it, summarize it, create notes for you. One click, you can share it, save it. Um, and then we also have integration. So if you're in sales, like your meetings can be saved into Salesforce, all the notes automatically, uh, it fills out your Salesforce. Uh, you can send the notes to Slack. Um, you can push them to like Asana and create like tasks in Asana. So there's a lot of, op uh, functionality there as well. Awesome. Love it. Um, and, and before we kind of get into how you've grown the company and, and, and your whole story, I know you, you said you've done some, some non-traditional, uh, SaaS growth tactics. Um, give us a sense a little bit of, of where's the company now? Like, when did you launch the company and kind of what level are you at now in terms of maybe, you know, proximate rev revenue numbers and, and headcount? Fireflies is uh, launched in January 2020, just a few weeks before the pandemic. Wow. And uh, I think timing wise, it just so happened that after a few weeks, everyone went remote. Everyone wanted 
video conferencing tools. Uh, we Before that, we had worked on several iterations, several different products, learned a lot through that journey, but really the founding official launch of Fireflies is January 2020. Um, today, Fireflies has taken notes for over 10 million people across 200,000 organizations. Uh, if you are in the Fortune 500, at least 70 to 80% of Fortune 500, there are people that have gotten notes or invited Fireflies to those meetings. Uh, and uh, we've been scaling really quickly in terms of uh, all of this growth. And we basically did this without spending any money on paid marketing. Wow. So that's a great segue into my next question, which is, you know, how did you grow it so so uh, quickly in such a short period of time? For us, we wanted product-led growth to be the foundation. Like there are some sales-led founders out there. There are other founders that do different tactics. Mm -hmm. uh, we wanted product to be the beachhead-like solution that you lead with. And what I mean by that is that if you have a product that is easy to share, easy to use, there's a natural virality built into meetings, mm -hmm. uh, that starts to amplify. So everyone sees fireflies on a meeting, then they ask, hey, what is this thing? And uh, then they get the notes afterwards, and then they start signing up and start using it. So mm -hmm. viral loops and word of mouth and having happy customers that are able to help you evangelize it on like, you know, when someone just posts even earlier this morning on Twitter, like Fireflies has like been a game changer in my work life. Um, that's the sort of like love that helps kind of grow the business. Um, there are some companies too, right? Like they don't, that don't have natural viral loops that just grew like wildfire. Chat GPT is one of the best examples. Yep. Uh, so I think the best marketing is customer marketing. And when they can be doing the evangelizing for you, um, it'll help you grow faster. So that was really the secret. Yeah, I and mean, it sounds like the classic case of you know Dropbox. You know, in the early days, you know, just they just had you know the virality of sharing, and and I have seen fireflies in, in many meetings, and you just kind of see it pop up there as the note taker, and uh, it's made. I think that's probably actually how I found about found out about the company in the first place is seeing that and then googling to say like you know what is that thing. So yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, so be, beyond that, that natural product led, you know, virality of the product, you know, what else have you guys done? Yeah, I think you mentioned earlier before some, some influencer marketing and, and other things you guys might have done. Yeah, so we started with that as like our foundation. And then we started working with different partners, especially like we're on so many different app stores for integration. So discoverability is really great mm -hmm. uh, where you go to the HubSpot app store or Salesforce or any of these other places. Um, you naturally get to see fireflies. Uh, we've also had some work done where we partnered up with folks that were um, influencers in, the, in this traditional sense that we would say like, hey, try this product out. If you like it, we'd love um, for you to share it. And so there's just a lot of that organic influencer marketing, micro influencers, people in AI. Um, there was this huge wave, like people talking about what are the top AI LLM based startups um, these like gen AI companies and fireflies would usually routinely make those lists and that help, uh, ignite the fire and, uh, get people to learn more about fireflies. Mm -hmm. Um, so we would see like, there are times when someone makes a LinkedIn post or Twitter post and, uh, uh, they mention fireflies or they write like a nice, uh, product description about it. Um, and then we said, okay, let's continue to engage with the community. Notion's done a wonderful job of this where they built communities on like Reddit, on LinkedIn, on Facebook groups, and uh, helped these ambassadors do really well. And we have some similar like goals in terms of community building 
which has been really helpful in uh, getting customers to like be those strong evangelists that we, we want from them to be. That's great. Um, it, it sounds like, you know, you, you've built an incredible product. And then on top of that, you, you benefited from, I guess, two big waves that you just had, well, maybe good timing or maybe just brilliance. I'm not sure. Maybe a little of both in terms of both being launching right right before COVID that everybody was going you know, virtual on their meetings. And then secondarily, being an AI-based tool recently where, where that's just kind of been the, uh, the big buzz and, and uh, you're a leader in that space as well now. So Fireflies had definitely some of these waves. There are, I think, some core areas that make this technology even possible today. Mm-hmm. One is the transcription became incredibly better. Like the cost went down, quality went up, and you could do it at scale. Before, if you wanted to transcribe a one-hour meeting, you'd have to pay a dollar per minute, so almost $60, right? Yeah. Um, with Fireflies, you are essentially getting six months of subscription with like that sort of price point now and almost unlimited video conferencing calls that you can capture. The other powerful piece of that, so that was the enabler, right? Like, hey, yeah. this transcription technology can actually be used. Uh, the other one is like this distributed remote work uh, where everyone was using Zoom and other video conferencing calls and uh, they were having meeting overload during the pandemic and Fireflies was just a great uh, product to help them just organize all their conversations. So that was an accelerant as well. There's a technology accelerant, there was a market yeah. accelerant, and now with this Gen AI acceleration, it's both, again, a tech as well as a market awareness thing. People realize like what Fireflies promised is actually being delivered thanks to these GPT functionality that makes the summaries incredibly accurate, um, where the AI can do very human-like things. Um, and that just blows people out of the water that technology can do that. And that took a long time. And you had to have belief that the market and technology was going to be there. And in fact, I always like to say that the companies that come after a wave like has started are actually usually missing it. They're like last to get on the bus. Uh, the companies that come way too early um, may not survive long enough to ride the wave. And then there's this weird period in time where you're early and it's painful but you are there to catch a wave that um uh like the timing works out well and so the first couple of years of fireflies i can tell you was really difficult uh because can this technology actually work can it actually scale is it a new product category how do you market that category like how do customers adopt that uh how do you make the pricing and unit economics work um to the point where okay this works, people want to buy it, and people want to use it, and uh, it can scale. So there's so many different elements to it, you have to just keep chipping away at it. Yeah. Um, I know when we started, there were like probably dozens of companies that tried to do this that ended up uh, quitting, because it's just so difficult of a problem. Simply because you're saying the technology wasn't there when they started, and, and just being able to hang on long enough for the for the technology to to evolve fast enough for you to and the cost structure it's it's really expensive to do what we do at scale Mm -hmm. and so yeah like we are even hearing today like uh github has this co-pilot that helps you write code i believe they're charging like ten dollars per license but they're losing twenty dollars so it's expensive ai is expensive people don't understand like um how expensive it is and this is why some of these companies are raising tons and tons of money sure. uh, to be able to go to market. So, so 
So why is it? Is it is just, you know, like, you know, old school just trying to grab market share while they're losing money based on VC investors and such, and they're just hoping the unit economics catch up with them down the road as it gets even cheaper? I believe that's the move for some of these companies that are doing a land grab. Uh, mm -hmm. At Fireflies, we had to be way more thoughtful because we didn't raise like capital at that point in time. But also, um, we built a business that where the unit economics has to make sense for us. Um, and there are times when you want to maybe spend on a marketing campaign or maybe you want to like think about freemium. So that's the other challenge is we have a massive freemium play at Fireflies where we have a free version of the product. We also yeah. have a free trial version of the product. And the cost of supporting freemium uh, is insanely expensive if you're right. not able to convert those customers, right? right. So but I'd imagine that based on the virality that we spoke about before, that's probably marketing budget essentially by just those yeah. people spreading the word. Freemium is marketing for us. Yeah, 100%. And uh, you're giving away a lot of that value in the effort to get people to recognize that this is something that they want to use. Mm -hmm. um, so deliver value first and then monetize it afterwards. Deliver value first, monetize it afterwards. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, as we're talking about AI, maybe moving a, a little bit away from Firefly specifically, um, I've got this funny feeling about, about AI, you know, I, a little skeptical about it in the future. Obviously, it's going to do great things. I, I worry a little bit about, you know, how it's going to affect society in the big picture. But but today within our, in our work world, obviously, there, there's a, a lot of powerful things that it can do. But there's a lot of things that, like you said before, we're kind of on the cusp of it being able to do a lot of big things. Um, today, how is AI um, affecting the way that you work and how is it making your, your workday better? I like to equate AI to this chief of staff, personal assistant, uh, rather than like tools and dashboards, because I pick a problem that I'm trying to solve and see how AI can automate some of those mundane remote tasks, that like routine tasks that you got to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I think helps a lot of these companies like ChatGPT and stuff, where they have this simple chat and phrase, you talk to it like a teammate and you get work done. Mm -hmm. um, we also believe in this future where for Fireflies, the AI note taker is one app or one agent, and we're going to have hundreds of different functionality on top of Fireflies, hundreds of different agents. There can be one agent that takes notes. There can be another agent that is analyzing the calls and doing like call scoring. Mm -hmm. uh, there can be another agent that's taking important information and writing up your product specs and documents. Uh, there can be another agent that is sending out emails afterwards based on what was discussed in the meeting. And we're building an app store with that future in mind um, so that people can have different agents that do different tasks, wow. all based on your voice conversations. Um, so I think that's a world that I look at is small companies are going to be able to do a lot of amazing things. And who knows, you could have a company that has 10 employees and then five AI agents. Uh, that helps them get the work done equivalent to a 50-person company. So I wasn't expecting to, to, to go here in the conversation, but I guess maybe in some ways on, 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 a, on a broader societal level, um, yeah. that's one of the things that makes me nervous as, as society starts to adapt AI and we get that efficient that you, efficiency that you speak about, which is obviously an incredible thing. And, 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 and I know there were fears when, automobiles were created and the internet was created and all that kind of stuff. And, and maybe I'm becoming an old man. I don't know. But like, I look at AI, I'm like, I feel like it's a little bit different. And I feel like that, that level of efficiency can put so many people out of jobs in our society because they just won't be needed, you know, both blue collar and white collar. 
how do you think about that question going to the future and and what do we do with a society that almost becomes redundant or, or is that not going to be the case and is that not a fear for you this is a great question i was in india this past uh, august and <laughs> i was doing a road show with a bunch of uh, journalists and giving interviews and this was the most common question that really? was asked about the societal impact right whether that's in india whether that's in the united states on the impact on jobs and job replacement. It yeah. would be naive for us to think that there is gonna be no impact and that everyone's gonna be all right and all the jobs are gonna be there. But the reality is things are changing. And unlike with previous technologies and shifts that have occurred, right? Whether it's automobile industry, whether it's internet, whether it's telecommunication, the AI industry is changing, not like once a year, it's changing every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the reality that we have to look at. And there is things to be thought about. And Elon said this, like, I think uh, a week ago about people may not even have to work, like being working is going to be an option. And in right. my mind, does that mean you have to have universal income? Like everyone has exactly. something that helps them get like, their food, their shelter and stuff. And you work because you want to be creative. And how does government play a role in this and helping people not get displaced? These are really, really important questions. And uh, I think in the short term, what's going to happen is there's going to be a consolidation of work and tasks. Um, and those that are able to learn to adapt and use AI are going to be more valuable in the job market. So yep. if you're a designer that's manually designing um, images or posters or uh, graphic designs, uh, that was fine. You can maybe come up with one to two iterations. Now, if you're using a tool like Midjourney or some of these Dolly type tools, the expectation might be that with the same amount of effort, you should be able to come up with 20 iterations and then you pick the best one. Right. So the quality of output and the quantity of output is significantly going to change with AI, very similar to the industrial revolution and machines and factories and stuff. Um, and it may require fewer people to do it. But in the short term, the people that are going to be in a good position, like I like to say is that AI is not going to directly replace you, but those that are using AI will, and you got to be ready for that um, right. world yes. in the short term. In the long run, we have to think about the societal impact of well, how do you train people? How do you get people upskilled uh, so that they are able to use this stuff? What was interesting about five years ago was everyone thought like blue collar work, um, like hard labor was going to get replaced by machines and robotics. Um, there's still risk to that. Uh, and they thought like these knowledge workers were these like safe people away from right. all of these changes. But in reality with like these LLMs and uh, a generative AI and GPTs, we're seeing knowledge work getting disrupted rapidly um, in a really fast, fast, fast way. So I, I think that first is learning to adopt. Second is upskilling. And then third is how does the government, how do institutions invest resources in creating some form of safety uh, for people that might get displaced uh, by AI? Yeah. And sure, AI is going to create new jobs, no doubt about it. Sure. But I also wonder, are those new jobs going to be enough to encapsulate everyone that can take that work up. Yeah, because in the future, um, every knowledge worker who knows how to use AI will be able to do 10 times the output of, let's say, every one of us smart people here today. Yeah. My yeah. last thought on this is that 
before we had the industrial revolution, we had a lot of these industries that were very boutique in nature, very artisan in nature. Mm -hmm. And everyone was creating like their own unique, like goods and services and providing that. And then um, with the industrial revolution, you have standardization, the same four shirt sizes, right? The same pants, um, the same type of material. With AI, one of the cool things is we can actually bring personalization at scale, mm -hmm. right? So someone is an artist, they can creatively do things um, as like a one person, two person shop. They don't have to go for work for a big factory. Um, I think AI will enable a lot of other mini entrepreneurs and uh, mini businesses mm -hmm. um, that can do a lot. So maybe we, we see that uh, artisanal shift um, again. Uh, that could also happen. So where instead of people working for these large companies, they work for themselves. Uh, one example of this today already is in this market of like influencers. Um, you, one can argue, are they like creating a lot of value or not in the world? But they are able to work for themselves and create right. content. Like there's a YouTuber that's creating all this uh, amazing content. Instead of going working for Discovery Channel, they can go and do like some uh, vlog related to travel and provide all this amazing information on YouTube and then monetize on that. So um, I think for those that are, want to be resourceful and entrepreneurial, there's also opportunities that are going to open up. Yeah, 100%. I think about, um, you know, we, we have these micro funding, you know, platforms for, you know, finding, you know, people in Africa who just need, you know, relatively small investments to be able to run small businesses. And potentially when, as, as they get a little bit more technology, they'll have the tools to be able to accomplish a whole lot more in these kind of like small businesses. Um, yeah, I guess I think about more, you know, certainly universal income becomes a part of it. But then it's how do we keep society fulfilled beyond the uh, their basic needs of, of shelter and food being provided for them? Um, it's an interesting uh, question, which I guess none of us really know the answer to yet. Um, ch changing topics a little bit. Um, I saw a video, I think maybe it was on your Instagram page of you being interviewed. And you mentioned that, um, you know, even though approximately 97% of your cu customers um, are very happy, if uh, if you see like three percent uh, that maybe complain, and I'm I'm guessing it's not even that high because I made the great product. Um, your your focus is is, is worrying about the, the, those three percent and that negative feedback potentially, you know, even just from a very small minority of customers bothers you. Um, the the question is is how do you keep that that motivation and appreciating everything that you're that you've accomplished so far because it really is great. Um, with that emphasis on 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 those those people irking you because I tend to get that way also even when I'm doing a good job it's the few people that criticize that that kind of you know touch a nerve. Criticism is an opportunity to learn for sure. Yep. And yeah, that that whole philosophy or approach that I, I say is like, look, if 97 people out of 100 say good things about fireflies, but then there's three people that are unhappy, I want to know why. Uh, I don't want to be in a position to say, well, 97% are good. That's fine. Like, I want to know what can I learn from that other 3%. And sometimes you can't save everyone and make everyone happy. Like there could be a customer that had a really bad day and just was confused and didn't know how to use the product. Or mm -hmm. um, there was like some downtime because of some server stuff. And uh, you can't control all variables. But if there's an opportunity to learn and see where we could be better, like that is the most important thing to think about, right? How How do we stand out against the competition? How do we uh, make the product easier to use, more affordable, all of those things. Um, and I, I look at every single like 
you know, NPS survey we, we put out there, and this is in the hundreds, like thousands, right? By at this point in time, mm -hmm. uh, every user that churns, like they are able to leave a little bit of feedback, provide a score. Um, and we take action on that. That's as, as a team, it's not a one man effort, but it starts from the top and creating that sort of culture of saying, where are we going wrong? Um, and then making sure that uh, we stay honest to ourselves. In fact, customers keep you honest. Yep. Uh, so it, it's a good skill to have being customer obsessed. There's one story uh, with Jeff Bezos and Amazon where a customer sent a piece of feedback saying, hey, you know, these plastic boxes are incredibly painful to open, right? When you ship all this stuff in plastic. Um, that's one of the reasons that Amazon actually gives you those cardboard boxes now, which are very easy to open. Obviously, there's some environmental benefits to it too, yep. but that's coming from customer feedback. They understood that feedback enough to say, hey, we should make like these packaging easier to open um, and sustainable and scalable. So those are the sort of things that like you don't need to listen to a thousand pieces of feedback sometimes to take action. Sometimes all it takes is like a few customers to help you realize that there's an opportunity where you can get better. Right. And, and, and often when you hear one person with a uh, piece of constructive criticism, there's a bunch of people that maybe thought the same thing, but didn't necessarily say it. No. Yeah. Um, awesome. Um, you usually do a quick lightning round at the end of the, the interviews here. A couple quick questions, a couple quick answers. Um, first question I got for you is, uh, what book would you recommend to our listeners? It could be a fiction book, business book. What, what, what's yeah. in your mind? So many great books out there. One of the things that I have learned a lot, and a lot of people have talked about this, high output management uh, really teaches you how to be a manager. Uh, I've never taken formal training, uh, never took like these like formal business courses, got into business school, didn't go, uh, didn't do an MBA. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't because I think doing an MBA skews your perspective of the world. Um, and uh, I don't, necessarily think that you will be a good founder. You might be a good operator, but not a good founder. But high output management teaches you practical skills on how do you scale? How do you delegate? How do you think about systems, inputs, outputs, processes? Um, I thought that book was really, really um, informative in thinking about like the world of business. Okay, excellent. Um, and what's your favorite marketing or productivity tool right now, other than Fireflies? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Zapier. Uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of all of these sort of workflow type tools that let you connect different things, no code, low code. Um, I think that's just masterfully done and what they've done in terms of the culture of the company uh, and so forth. So uh, I, I love uh, Zapier. And uh, I've also had a lot of fun um, working with tools like Eleven Labs, which does voice cloning um, and uh, MidJourney. So our marketing team has been uh, utilizing that as well, which has been really cool, cool to see. Nice. Um, and who is your favorite marketing or business leader that you're learning from these days? Oh, there are so many incredible um, folks in the SaaS industry specifically. Um, I always have to say like Jason Lemkin has done a wonderful job of educating founders about how to think about building SaaS and uh he has a lot of these things that have become now tribal knowledge inside an organization on how to scale from zero onwards, right? Zero to one. It's really important to to learn those sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, huge respect for um, what what he has said there. Uh, Jay Simmons, who was previously the president at Atlassian, 
his culture on building a self-service company. In fact, Atlassian as a whole have this wonderful culture around um, being transparent. uh, And uh, that's something that I, I like to do too, where you go to Fireflies, you'll see exactly what the pricing is. You don't have to be forced to talk to a salesperson. You can sign up on your own. Whether you're a two-person team or a 2,000-person team, you can help yourself. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and finally, uh, where can listeners go to learn more with, about you and to connect with you? Yeah, so uh, fireflies.ai. You can sign up, start using it. There's a free version as well. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, we're pretty active. Fireflies, um, Twitter as well. Um, and yeah, personally for me, uh, I'm posting content on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So Chris Ramanini, it's the handle. Um, and that's the same for across all those platforms. And then Fireflies AI is the handle. Okay, fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, learned a lot, really enjoyed chatting with you. And I'm sure our uh, listeners will as well. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on growing your SaaS.